So let's read uh, verses 1 through 8. Remind them to be subject to rulers and authorities to obey, to be ready for every good work. So who's them? The Cretans, yes. So we're on Crete, good. And who's writing? Paul, writing to Titus. Yes, very good. So Titus, remind them, the Cretans, to be subject to rulers and authorities to obey, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to be peaceable, gentle, showing all humility to all men. For we ourselves were also once foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving various lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. But when the kindness and the love of God, our Savior, toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to His mercy He saved us, through the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior, that having been justified by His grace, we should become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. This is a faithful saying, and these things I want to affirm constantly, that those who have believed in God should be careful to maintain good works. These things are good and profitable to men. Thank you for standing. You may be seated. When I was in college, they taught us a variety of techniques for waking a room up when the room gets a little tired. So that's like level one. Level 10 involves shock therapy. No, not at all. Sorry. Um, So question on your handout, I think, uh, there is, do you know people who love to argue? You know anybody who loves to argue? And and I don't mean like uh, a lawyer whose job it is to argue in front of a jury and a judge to accomplish a specific purpose. I mean somebody who, when you see them, you know, oh, man, we're going to have an argument. Or or this person is going to tell me about an argument. Or I'm going to engage in an argument right now that I really just... It's just exhausting. You ever get that exhausting feeling before you actually before you actually engage with the person? You just you go, oh, I'm worn out. I need a nap right now. And maybe that's the excuse to get out of that conversation. It's like I'm about to take a nap, so sorry for that. Um, so th- there are people that just love to argue. And my next question in my notes is, do you know people who love to argue about things in the Bible? Oh boy, now we've ratcheted up to a whole nother level, right? I mean, we're just really engaged on this stuff that generally doesn't matter a whole lot. Um, let me give you an example of this. How many angels can dance on the head of a pen? Thank you. Can God make a rock so big that he can't move it? And, and these things are what appear to be life or death issues for some folks. And Titus is getting to the end of this letter that Paul has written him. You know, he, he can see that the whole thing would fit on like the front and the back of one piece of paper. And he's getting to the end of this letter. And Paul has laid out, this is the type of leaders that you should be putting in place. This is what your character should look like. These are the types of things that the church members themselves need to be actively doing. And then he comes to these three little verses toward the end of this letter, and he talks about avoiding dissensions and not getting into arguments. And and it kind of messed with me for a little bit on why does he put this here? It seems like a bit of a rabbit trail. And the more I thought about it and the more I read, uh, it came to me that the idea might be uh, don't get distracted. 
because Titus had a crazy big job. Titus was sent to the island of Crete. The island of Crete was somewhere around 100 times the size of Hamilton County. And uh, he's told to go plant churches and plant churches and plant churches and appoint leaders. And there would have been at least uh, 80 to 100 cities on this island at that time. And Paul tells him to go plant a church in every single city. That's a, that's a big job. And this is Crete. This is not refined uh, living. This is not excellent suburbs with nice, neat mowed yards where everything is wonderful. This is a mess. Cretans live on Crete, right? So, so he goes and he engages with this, and this is going to take a long time. This is not an assignment that Titus is going to be done with in a couple of months. It's probably not an assignment that Titus is going to be done with in a couple of years. It may actually take the rest of his life to actually do this job. So this may be his last assignment. This is very possible. So one of the things that would be very easy to do would be on city number 13. We'll just pick a number. City number 13, somebody wants to start discussions and arguments about all sorts of things that are distractions to the mission at hand. And I think Paul puts this in here to make sure that Titus doesn't get distracted, to make sure that he stays on message, that we remember what you're supposed to be doing, and that you identify up front the things that could distract you. Now, so my question is, for those of you that have kids, have you ever given your kids directions and then told them, now, now this is going to distract you over here, so don't be distracted when you see this squirrel pop up. Don't chase that squirrel because squirrels love to be chased, right? And, and you can give directions to, to children or to new employees at your work and say, hey, if you do this thing, this is great, but so-and-so is going to interrupt you 10 minutes into this job and they're going to want to know the answer to this question. That's not important. What's important is the accomplishment of this task. And this is what Paul's doing here today to Titus. He's saying this is what's important. Don't get distracted. All these other things can distract you from this point. So what does the text say? So verses 9 through 11. We'll start with verse 9. But avoid foolish disputes. So that's the first kind of little, little phrase there. Avoid. Um, I want to show you what this word means. So Albert, can you come here for a sec? And Miss Amy V, can you come here for a sec? So avoid foolish disputes. Um, so the word avoid here does not mean if I walk into the room and I see both these folks, it's like, hey, Amy, how you doing? It's good to see you today. I'm so glad you're here in Sunday school. This is wonderful. <laughs> yeah, whatever. It, it's so good to see you, Amy. I mean, it's just really, I'm glad you're here. Uh, that's not what the word avoid here means, okay? I'll show you what the word avoid means. Literally, what it means. Hey, Amy, how you doing? Good. Put my back to him. Now, I have no idea what he's doing back there, right? <laughs> Scare me to death. This is, this is to me as close to the New Testament idea of what Nehemiah did in the Old Testament when they were building that wall. When, when everybody wanted to come up and argue and fuss and fight, and he just said, look, we've got work to do. I don't even have time to come down and argue with you about this. And this is what Paul tells Titus to do. Put your back to them. You have work to do. Avoid foolish questions. Thank you very much, Miss Amy. Yeah, okay. Um, 
The Greek word for foolish. Anybody know what the Greek word for foolish is? Moros, M-O-R-O-S. What does that sound like? Moron, Moron. yes. That's, we get that word from, from that word. Avoid moronic questions. Avoid moronic disputes. Um, I'm sorry, I didn't give you the blank there. Guthrie, to turn oneself about so as to face the other way. For those of you blank fillers, it's good to know. To, turn, to face the other way. So avoid foolish disputes. So this means disputes or questions. Um, the blank there is searches. It literally means searches. And, you know, we live in a day and age where we can ask any question imaginable, right? We, most of us carry around devices in our pockets that we can actually speak to and just say, I'd like to know the answer to this. And the answer magically appears. It is amazing. And what I gather from this, these uh, four words, but avoid foolish disputes, is that there are stupid questions. Now, no doubt, many of you have been in training sessions, you've been in educational uh, environments where you've heard the phrase, there are no dumb questions. How many of you internally roll your eyes every time you hear that? Yes, thank you. Okay. Just want to make sure we're all kind of on the same page. Yes, there are dumb questions. There are absolutely dumb questions. Uh, I've been able to uh, teach the, the Scripture in some form or fashion for a little over 20 years now, and I can assure you there are stupid questions. Now, most of the stupid questions come from a desire to chase something that is completely and totally irrelevant. It is not, well, I want to know how all that works. Like, how does this fit together with this? Great question. Understanding the big arcs and the themes of the Scripture, that's wonderful. But can God make a rock so big that he can't move it? (sighs) Swing and a miss, right? Just swing and a miss. So avoid foolish disputes or searches. Uh, Genealogies is the next comma. Genealogies. Now, how many of you know that there are genealogies in the Bible, right? When, when you do your read through the Bible in a insert your time period here, uh, these, are the wor- these are the sections that most of you, uh, most of us, me, uh, are tempted to skip at times, right? Because you just kind of look at them and you go, that's awesome. I'm so glad that God sees those folks as important. I don't know them. I don't care who their mama was. I don't care who their daddy was. I don't care how many kids they had. I really don't care how old they were when they had those kids, right? I mean, now we're getting into some really minute stuff. God put those there for a reason. Those are important. Now, when, when Paul writes a letter to a New Testament church, there's almost always, not always, but almost always, some degree of Jewish population that is in a city. Doesn't mean the whole city is Jewish. Doesn't mean... Uh, uh, half the city is Jewish, but there's always some around. And the Jews loved asking questions. This is actually how they learned. This is how they taught uh, their children. This is how they taught uh, adults. This is how synagogues worked, the whole nine yards. And it was a, it was a Q&A type uh, learning environment. So, so I would say something like, uh, who knows the 23rd Psalm? Anybody have the 23rd Psalm memorized? Sean, go for it. Stop. That's verse 1, right? Good. So the rabbi would say, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And the audience was expected to be thinking about verse 2. 
Because the rabbi's setting up where he's going next. So anybody know verse 2? Say it again. He makes me lie down in green pastures. Excellent. And verse 3? He leads me beside the still waters. So you're supposed to be thinking about verse 4. So when the rabbi references verses 1, 2, and 3, he's really talking about verses 4, 5, and 6 because that's where you're going next. So the student is expected to know that. All right? So the student then would respond with verses 4, 5, and 6. And then the rabbi would take the student to somewhere else that would prompt the student to think about a different section. It's just ridiculous. And if you're thinking about it and you're going, oh, my goodness, this sounds really hard. Yes, it is. Which is the reason only the best and the brightest ever got to follow the rabbi around and be like the rabbi because you had to be really smart to do this. Fishermen need not apply. This is what made Jesus so awesome, because fishermen could apply. Okay? So, so you had this question and answer, question and answer, question and answer, question and answer. And the rabbis love to tell stories. There are books and books and books and just volume after volume of literature that the rabbis have written guessing about all the white space in between the verses in Scripture. So when I say white space... So you read verse 3, you read verse 4, and you're in Kings somewhere, and you go, it seems like something happened in between here that they didn't tell me about. Like there's some activity. You ever read these, these passages? And you go, something was going on here, and they didn't, the author didn't tell me. But I wonder what happened. The rabbis would make up stories about this. And they told these stories so long and so often that they began to believe that these were actually true in many places. And they would make up genealogies. And they would say, well, this person's great-grandfather was a brother to this person's great-grandmother. And that's how they knew each other. So when they interacted in this space, this is why they were together. Because their families were related. Well, maybe. But the scripture doesn't say that. But do you see how you could have endless discussions about created genealogies that have no basis in historical fact? This is what we're talking about here. The genealogies. So this is not referencing the genealogies that are in Scripture, that are there for a purpose, for a reason. Those are land rights. Who owns what? Who has the right to what area of the country? So avoid foolish or stupid disputes, genealogies, and then contentions. You may have a different word in your translation than contentions. Arguments. Thank you. Why would we want to avoid arguments? Why would we want to avoid arguments? Why would we want to avoid arguments in the church when you're building a church in the middle of a pagan land? Distraction. It's like this squirrel, this giant squirrel with teeth that bite and hurt. Now, um, have you ever messed with a squirrel before? Yes. Don't mess with squirrels, okay? Squirrels have ridiculously uh, sharp, strong teeth. You do not want a squirrel to attack you. But you do it from a distance. You don't do it from a distance because they can cover ground in a hurry, yes. Um, I had a friend in high school who messed with a squirrel. The squirrel latched onto a finger. It did not end well, okay? Many of you are still eating breakfast. I will not tell the rest of the story. It did not end well, okay? He looks like a printer. You ever met a printer? Printer can't count to 10. Printer can count to, like, 
eight or something like that because things are missing. It's not good. Uh, contentions. Avoid these debates, these strifes, these arguments. Uh, the next word, and strivings. These are literally battles. So this, so we've kind of, we're amping it up now. We've gone from just arguing to actually battling this out. So this is a Bible battle royale, okay? So we show up to church. It was a joke, but nobody laughed, so I guess I'll just not tell that one again. There we go. Um, I'm trying, okay? I'll make you stand up again or we'll read some scripture. Uh, um, and strivings about the law. So what would strivings about the law be? Strivings about the law. So you know that there's this section in the Bible called the law, right? And what does it have inside of it? The law, right? Lots of rules about how to live, how not to live, what to do, what not to do, when to do what to do, and when not to do what to do. And sometimes it matters what day. Sometimes it matters whether it's night or day. Sometimes it matters if you're right with God or if you're not right with God. A tremendous number and variety of constraints. And we know from studying the scripture that those constraints are there to direct the children of Israel toward a right relationship with God. All these, all these boxes and lines that they're supposed to live in are supposed to turn their hearts toward God and not lead them down a path of, I'm checking things off a list. However, we are human beings and we like lists and we love to check things off of lists. So most of those Jews turned those laws into checking things off a list. And the rabbis fell into this as well. And they would say, yes, this is my yoke. This is my teaching. You'd have to do all these different things. And here's my interpretation of each one of these things. And then Jesus comes along and he says, oh, but my yoke is easy and my burden is light. This is not about a list. This is about a relationship with God. These things are supposed to direct you toward this path. So when they say strivings about the law, I'll give you an example. So on the Sabbath, you were only allowed to travel so far. Anybody know how far you were allowed to travel according to the Jewish rules of the day? Anybody know? It's actually a number of steps. Depending upon the particular yoke of the rabbi, it could either be 1,000 steps or 2,000 steps. And the idea was that that was the distance that could get you to the synagogue and back from your home. So you wouldn't violate the law. Okay, 2,000 steps. Well, what if I'm kind of on the edge of that? Is it, can I round down? Is that okay? Maybe? I mean, do I have to count every single one? How do I keep track of that? How do I know? How do I know that if my kid, who has shorter legs than me, is taking more steps to cover the same amount of, do you see where this goes? You see where this goes very, very quickly. Oh, my goodness. Do you see where the phrase legalism comes from? This is the law. This is a legal construct that is meant to drive our hearts toward the Lord. And now we've, we've divul- uh, devolved into, I'm counting steps. Not sure that was the intent. The intent was, I don't go and do all of my normal work on the Sabbath because that's a special day to rest and worship the Lord. Cool. And that turns into my checklist. So these strivings about the law, avoid all that. Turn your back on all that. All that is a distraction from the mission at hand, which is Crete needs Jesus. Right? Does this make sense so far? Okay, cool. What's next? For they are... Un- now, I've skipped a, a question. Did I put a purple question in your notes? Purple is questions in my color scheme of the world, Yes. 
Um, it's the only way I can keep all this stuff straight in my head is I'm a visual learner, so the different colors help me out quite a bit. So how much time do I spend spent? Wow, that was awful. I'll fix that. Margie, that grammatical error was for you this morning to make sure you could catch that. Great. Um, how much time do I spend discussing, arguing, striving about things that do not matter? That question is for me. If that helps you, wonderful. That question is for me. So, For they are unprofitable. Uh, the word here means unprofitable or useless. And you go, yeah, but Jim, the next word is useless. Yeah, that word actually means vanity. So it's kind of a not as optimal translation as you can get, but that's okay. So vanity. Vanity means empty. It means uh, no weight. It means no substance. So um, I need somebody to empty out a bag. If you have a bag that you could empty out for me, that would be wonderful, and I'd love to use that as an example. And if I could use, that was awesome, <laughs> just boom. And if I could use your scripture, that would be weight. wonderful. I looked around the room, and this is the biggest Bible I could see. So, all right. So is it empty? I, I'm a legalist here. Empty means empty, okay? This is the, no, sorry. That's a cool bag. Um, so I have an empty bag and the copy of the scriptures, which is, I mean, literally, it's pretty heavy. Um, so which one has weight? The scripture has weight, right? Which one is empty? The words in the Bible for vanity is talking about emptiness. It's light. It is very easy to toss around. It has no substance. This would be easy to move. This would be easy to change. This would be easy to modify something that has some substance, something that has some weight, something that's going to be around a while, something that is harder to move. You see the difference? All of this stuff that we've talked about is emptiness. It doesn't matter. Ladies, you don't carry around an empty purse, do you? Why? Because that's ridiculous. Why would you do this? Why would you do this? It's absolutely ridiculous. And that same, well, duh, moment about carrying around an empty purse is the exact same thing that Paul is talking about here about engaging in these genealogical discussions and these questions and these debates and these strivings that don't matter. They're distracting you from Crete needs Jesus. Does this make sense? Yes? Good. Okay. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. All right, so what's the next phrase say? I feel like I've missed a blank. Oh, your blank for useless is vain. Vain. <coughs> Barnes has a great quote here. He says, these are of no practical importance, even if they could be determined. I love it. Calvin, Calvin. I want to say it again and make an Alvin and the Chipmunks joke, but I'm not going to. Um, such is the cunning, some of you will get that in about 30 minutes, that's all right. Such is the cunning of Satan, this is a great perspective, that by the impudent talkativeness of such men, he entangles good and faithful pastors so as to draw them away from diligence in teaching. Now, I am not a conspiracy theorist. I watched the movie with Mel Gibson, thought it was fantastic, thought he needed a lot of medication even to act that part, but that's okay. Uh, I'm not a conspiracy theorist. I don't think everybody's out to get us. I do, however, think Satan is out to get us. And I think Satan's been around a long time. 
He's an extremely good observer of human behavior. And he's got a lot more experience at this than I do. So perhaps he's better at this than I am. And perhaps he's got a lot of resources, other demons, that are pretty good at this as well. And perhaps one of their goals is to drive these types of divisions and arguments and questions into churches so that splits happen, so that debates happen, so that disunity happens, and that Crete can't see Jesus. Does this make sense? So I do believe there is a conspiracy. I don't think it's all about the government. I think it's actually all about Satan. So I'm going to stick with Satan's the bad guy. All right? So verse 10, reject. Again, this is the the word uh, for avoid. Decline, shun, avoid, excuse. So I want to talk about something for just a second. In, in church history, if you, if you think about church began at Pentecost and you go 2,000 years and, and we're here, in church history, has some bad stuff happened in the name of the church? Yes. Can we say definitively there's some very evil, wicked, bad, negative, no good, horrible, awful? Yes. I mean, heinous, grievous actions have occurred. Things like torture. Things like murder, things like that I don't even want to talk about, right? That bad. The scripture tells us that when someone wants to create disunity in the body, we do this word, we reject. It does not give us permission to do anything more. There is no physical violence associated with this. There is no torture, there is no murder, there is no stoning, there is no, none of that. None of that is okay. None of that was okay when it was happening. None of that is okay now. This is as far as we are allowed to go, is to avoid, which is great because the last thing we want to be known as is a bunch of murderers. That doesn't sound like new life, does it? No, no. That, that whole period where the church killed people, we are still paying for the reputation impact of that today. And we will pay for that forever because that's all associated now with religious churchy <coughs> stuff. And that's just not where our boundaries are. Our boundaries are so far back from that, it's not even funny. It's reject. So, reject a divisive man. Does anybody have a different translation for the word divisive? Factious, that's good. What's another word? Stirs up division, that's good. Nobody else does? Nobody has the H word? Heretic, yes. Heretikos is the Greek word. It's pretty easy to figure that out, right? This is a heretic. So, what is a heretic? Well... A heretic, literally, in this sense of the term, is a schismatic man. A schismatic man. You go, schismatic. What, what's, what is that? So what was your word, uh, Lori? Factious. Factious, yes. So I want to be in a camp that is not your camp, because my camp is better than your camp. My team is better than your team. My denominational label is better than your denomination. Ooh, my interpretation of this passage of Scripture is better than your interpretation. The guy I follow says it means this. The guy you follow doesn't even know what it is. This is a schismatic. 
I want to have uh, sections and divisions and camps and partition up the body of Christ. Well, here's a shocker for you. If you cut up a body, it no longer works. Right? This is, thank you, Captain Obvious. Right. Right. This is a factious man, a divisive man. Um, Philip says this, he says, A heretic is a person who rejects sound biblical doctrine to espouse other ideas. Such self-willed opinions lead to factions and divisions in the church. Anybody ever known a church with factions or divisions? Yes? Yes? Is it fun? No. Because that even impacts stuff like who you can sit next to. You ever been in a church like that? That you, you shouldn't even sit next to that person because that, oh, oh, no, no, we can't talk to them. I mean, in case you hadn't figured it out, Albert's that person in this room. <laughs> so this is the, no, I love you, man. I've ripped on you twice today, but I really, you know, I love you. All right, cool. Um, Albert's the reason some of you are sitting in this room today, by the way, because uh, he will harass the devil out of you if you miss, which I have told him to do so. So thank you for that, Albert. I appreciate it. <laughs> Um, he's the harassing part of the body of Christ, yes. Uh, and it's good. So, in love, harassing in love. Oh, that's pretty good. <laughs> so, verse 10, reject a divisive man after the first and second admonition, which is wonderful. I love this after the first and second admonition because that gives me, as a stupid, uh, as a person who comes up with stupid stuff sometimes, uh, more often than sometimes, probably. Julie's looking at me like, no, you've got to expand that word a little. Uh, that gives me an opportunity to have a mirror put up in front of my face and go, oh, that, that is not consistent with the rest of Scripture, is it? Great. I am so glad somebody said, hey, Jim, that was stupid. I get that regularly from you all, and it is very helpful. Please keep it up. I need it. Um, some of you are going, I would never say that. You need to say that to me. If you think it's stupid, you need to say, I think it's stupid. And then you need to point to a verse in the Bible why you think it's stupid. But it is what it is. After the first and second uh, admonition. So this word admonition is a compound word. It means it's the two words mind and put in place. And the idea is that I'm going to help you put your mind in the right place. Okay, well, that's cool. Does it say anything about abuse? Does it say anything about striking or physically hitting, or burning at the stake, or... We kind of went through a dramatic shift there, I know, from striking and hitting to burning at the stake, but this stuff happened, right? So uh, your blank here is, heretics do not listen. So a heretic is somebody who's been warned once or twice about this particular item, and they've not listened. They're going to continue building a camp, or supporting a camp. Supporting divisions. So, rabbit trail for just a second. There is a reason we teach our children to listen the first time they are told to do something. When we allow our children to be told something multiple times before they listen, we are literally teaching them how to be heretics. Because heretics don't listen. It is more important than our reputations in public or how we feel relative to when our children listen. It is setting them up to not listen to other authorities like biblical authorities that God is going to put in their lives later on that will keep their souls from being damned to hell. 
it is important. Okay? So if you want to help your child be a heretic, let them disobey as many times as you want before you actually say, yes, we're going to help you obey. And God has given you some tools to help you help them obey. Help you help them help him. That's pretty good, right? Yes. Uh, All right, so heretics do not listen. So verse 11, knowing that such a person or this kind of person is warped. Anybody have a different word there than warped? Perverted, yeah. The the word is uh, twisted. Uh, It's actually a compound word from out and twisted around. So it's outside and twisted around. It's just, it's all messed up. It's just not what it's supposed to be. Uh, The truth is a straight path between two points, and this is some kind of meandering around and not following a straight path. So knowing that such a person is warped and sinning or missing the mark, being self-condemned. So there's some self-knowledge here of this. This is not a, oh, I don't know, I I can claim ignorance. You cannot claim ignorance of being a heretic because you've been warned once or twice. You've had the truth explained, and you've decided to reject that truth. So the next blank here is truth is worth separating over. And this is hard for some folks because some folks just want everybody gets along and everything's okay and this is wonderful. Truth is worth separating over. Truth is worth separating yourself from a heretic over. This is important. Um, Amy sent me a quote from the Life Application Study Bible. It says, A local church cannot modify its doctrine for every new idea or accommodate every person's viewpoint. And I am glad because what would our doctrinal statement look like then? Good, gracious alive. It's plenty long right now. It, it, we, we got enough in there, okay? Uh, let's see. The goal here is not to win arguments. The goal here is that Crete needs Jesus. Uh, J. Vernon McGee says, You may whip a man down intellectually by your arguments, but that does not touch his heart and win him to Christ. Paul did not send Titus to Crete and say, Go argue them into the kingdom. Not the way it works. Not the way it works. So, what's the point? Well, I'm glad you asked. Number one, distractions will come. Yes, they will always come. Uh, Guzik has a great quote. What do I do with this? Keep on course. Keep on course. Let distractions happen. That's fine. One of the best management pieces of advice I was ever given in my entire life is you do not have to answer every question. You don't. You need to answer some, otherwise you're a jerk. But you don't have to answer every single question you get asked. You just don't. It's okay. Some you just ignore. It's all right. Uh, what's the point number two? Stupid questions exist. Yeah. I was hoping there'd be some kid in the room today and they get to write stupid on their handout. And then their parents have to explain, oh, yeah, the Bible says it. It's okay. Stupid questions exist. So know how to respond to stupid questions. And the answer is turn you back to it. Explain what the truth is and then turn you back. Number three, truth requires rejection. Truth requires rejection. So be strong enough to reject. Being a Christian doesn't mean we get to be friends with everybody over everything. Being a Christian means there are lines that get drawn and the truth is important and that rejection has to occur for heretics. At some point, we cut this off and it is what it is. So this is Paul's next to last section that he talks to Titus about. Next week, we finish Titus. It'll be eight weeks in Titus. I kind of feel like I've slacked off in Titus. The whole set of notes is going to be less than 30 pages. Like I'm mailing it in here, but um, it is what it is, so that's where we are. Uh, so thank you for coming to Sunday School today. I appreciate your attendance. On your, on your uh, table is a uh, sheet of paper with a great big section at the top for prayer requests, so please record your prayer requests. 
Uh, pray as a group. Make sure your name's at the bottom of the page there for attendance purposes, and you are dismissed. Thanks for coming today.